0: Song facts, get you some facts
1: right here, get
0: your song facts, get your song facts right here. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and as always, this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're listening, take your time, take five minutes, go leave us a review. They do that on Spotify now, so no excuses. And you know what? It really helps us continue to grow and spread the word, and we appreciate it. On today's show, we have a legendary songwriter and musician, Jack Temchin. Jack is best known for penning the songs Peaceful, Easy Feeling and Already Gone, which were recorded by the Eagles and he has and continues to write songs for both himself and others. Most recently, he has been performing with the band Mrs. Henry, and we get to hear about their collaboration, Waiting, which is a song that sounds and feels like a norm-defying Dylan tune. He also tells us about his latest songwriting adventure, where he just goes down to the beach and records songs completely made up on the spot. Always creative, always trying to challenge himself, i really enjoyed this one jack has been at it for a long time and continues to write music today which is just an inspiring stretch of creativity and success so please sit back and enjoy jack Tempchin. Um, All right, I'm so excited to get some of these stories. I'm going to try not to um, do too much overlap, but to start, and I'm sure this is a way that a lot of your interviews start, but I, I want to try and be original throughout this if I can. But I want to go back to California in the early 70s, because you seem to be right in the mix of this robust songwriter scene in Laurel Canyon and around Southern California, And I'm just wondering, from a creativity and songwriting perspective, what do you think, looking back, was so unique about that time and place?
1: Well, in a sense, everything. Uh, You know, uh, the zeitgeist, they call it, of every time period is different. All these forces come together. Yeah. uh, And we were living... In a complete, for one thing, we were in a different world than our parents. Our parents came out of um, the Depression and then World War II. They had to be grownups and all that. And then we were the first generation to have television. Television became the authority instead Mm -hmm. of your parents, you know, you see stuff on TV. Before that, there was no television. It was just your parents told you stuff, and that was the world. But after television, yeah. the same way like right now, you'll say something about something that happened earlier in your life, and your kid will pull out their phone and check it and go, no, no, the phone is the authority now, not my dad. <laughs> well, but that was a big thing because That's so uh, true. then when we started to grow long hair and become hippies, you know, parents couldn't understand. We, it was just a whole movement. And even we didn't understand. It's like, I'd see somebody on TV with long hair and I go, wow, that's cool. Why, why was that cool? And why did I want to grow long hair? And everybody else in my high school wanted to, and we all wanted to something. We didn't even know what, uh, but forces. Hmm. So there were a lot of forces, and we also it was a 50s in the 50s coming into the 60s and all it was actually a very prosperous time when a, you could just uh, live off the uh, dumpster in the back of the grocery store if you were a hippie you'd get all kinds of vegetables yeah. I mean it didn't seem like we were well off but uh, every house had one car and the one parent worked, and now two parents have to work. So it was prosperous and we decided we didn't wanna have to work our lives away like the man, like our parents did. So we just wanted to go off and be free. And then there was this whole hippie movement uh, worldwide, countrywide. Uh, And then the war, Vietnam War with the draft we don't have a draft now, but that was a huge deal. So we reacted to that. No. And uh, and so it was like a giant wave that came in the culture. And I was at the forefront of the wave because I was older. And so I just rode that wave, you know, and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And a, a lot of it was the creative force of things that happening. The music was started with the folk music, and then it just... Every Everybody was into the music, and then when you add the two drugs, the birth control pill and LSD, and those things changed everything, because okay. then there was a sexual revolution, because mostly keeping a lid on society was about uh, you can't sleep with the wrong person you know, because you'll get pregnant. And all, and all of a sudden there's a birth control pill. So we go, no, yeah, yeah, no. Exactly. And then penicillin w- was curing every uh, uh, sexual disease. So there's no reason not to sleep with anybody if you want to. And then LSD was a religious <laughs> experience that impacted all the creative for all the music, all the art, all the thought. It uh, was just taken to this other place than than the churches that our folks went to or you know uh so it was a huge different massive movement of people and the creativity was unbelievable going off in different directions and i was just uh, right in the front of it did you
0: ever feel that there was any sort of to me it doesn't i don't get the sense that it was competitive maybe like some internal competitiveness of like oh, they just wrote that amazing song, I've, that's, I gotta, I gotta be better, but it's not just, like, you're sitting there and just being, like, I can't do that, I can't do what the guys in Crosby, Stills, and Nash are doing, so I just, I don't belong, like, it just kind of, there's this sense of belonging that, looking back, for me, someone who couldn't experience it, seems to be like, but I'm wondering if you picked, if that Uh, vibe was around.
1: Well, Let's see. As far as competitive, people are just naturally competitive. But there was in the early days of uh, of the troubadour music scene, kind of uh, Jackson Brown and JD Southern, Glenn Frey, and there was kind of a camaraderie too. There was kind of like uh, I want the I want I wanted my friends to make it, and they wanted me to make it, which is unusual. Yeah.
0: I think and so and we too. All started, I think that's a really um,
1: unique thing. None of us had record deals. We were all just playing, you know, and uh, I met Jackson Brown because I'd heard a couple of his songs and learned them, you know, way before his first record deal. Uh, then he came to town to play in a little coffee house. Um, and so there was sort of a brotherhood of people making this music, and we all wanted to rise up together, which we did.
0: Yeah, it really seemed like it was d- this very supportive time. I, so a few years ago, you spoke to another writer for um, songfacts.com, and, and you guys got deep into the, your story behind um, Peaceful Easy Feelings. So that's out there. People can go check that out. I want to talk about a couple of your other songs. Yeah. Obviously, I think that one and then Already Gone might be the ones that you're most known for because of the fame that the Eagles brought to them and everything like that. And I'd just like to ask about the process behind Already Gone.
1: Well, I heard some people talking just the other night, and they said you're going
0: how did that song end up from being on your pen and paper to in a recording studio with, with the guys from the Eagles? Like, is that intentional on your end or were they just like, we like this song, Jack, please let us use it.
1: Uh, Well, I guess it started, I wanted to write a country, a country song because I was in the folk movement, but I'd listen to the country radio on my transistor when I was supposed to be sleeping, yeah. you know, and I heard country music. I, I just thought, I don't know how to write a country song. Uh, but I had a friend, Rob Strandman, who played at the coffee house with me. Uh, and he rode a, a horse. He lived like miles out of town and, and uh, had a cowboy hat and played <laughs> country. He rode a horse. So we had a gig together uh at a a coffee house which is what we used to call a folk music club and i was running this club on the campus of san diego state university which was then san diego state college so we were playing one night and uh we were in the back room which was the kitchen with these big refrigerator doors and i opened a door and there was a white jug so I got this jug out and for some reason we thought it would be okay to just drink out of this jug. Um, and, uh, and it was uh, cider, uh, hard cider. Okay. And I had never had, I had never had any alcohol or any drugs or anything at that point.
0: What never year are we that. at here?
1: Geez, I'm not even sure. 68 maybe. Okay. No, it must have been earlier than that. But um, so, you know, we were drinking out of this jug, and we started to feel really good. And I said, "Let's write a country song." So, in about twenty minutes, in the back room there, uh, we wrote "Already Gone," and the chorus, which I still sing like this, goes woo-hoo-hoo, You know, and because uh, we, I just felt so good suddenly. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> So we got on stage and we played it once, and uh, I don't think I played it much after that, you know. Uh, and then a couple years later, I got a phone call from Glenn Fry, and he was in the studio with the Eagles. This was on their third album. He said, "You know that country song you wrote? He goes, I, I think it'd be a good rock song." And uh, <laughs> And and then he held up the phone to the speakers in the studio, and there was uh, their version of "Already Gone."
0: Oh my God!
1: Yeah, it's the same song exactly. But and also, I was reflecting on even writing "Peaceful Easy Feeling" or "Already Gone." Um, There was no. Some somebody said, "Look, Jack, there's hundreds of dollars in this folk music." You know, and that. There was no expectation that I was ever going to make any money off these songs. That was unheard of. Yeah, you know, and uh, until like when the Eagles got together and they did like the first but, uh So it wasn't it wasn't money or competitiveness or anything. It was just like I was writing songs from myself, and then so that I could sing them when I got up in front of people. Mm-hmm.
0: Stay tuned for more Song Facts Podcast right after this. Song Facts Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, you're hearing me talk about it on every episode now, but I continue to let you know that therapy is something to not be ashamed of and to definitely pursue. If you're sick physically or have some sort of injury, you're going to go see a doctor and the mind is no different. So you should definitely look into therapy because without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. And the good news is that therapy works. But what is therapy? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated, you'd like some tools to help, or maybe you're in an insecure relationship or having trouble at work. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of these normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. a special offer to Songfacts podcast listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash songfacts. That's betterhelp.com slash songfacts. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this show. Get your
1: song back back here.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, just people kind of gravitate towards it. And as a songwriter, it has to just give you confidence to see a song that you've written land and, you know, all of a sudden you're hearing it on the radio and even though it's somebody else playing it and you're just like, I'm doing something right.
1: That was the dream. It was beyond a dream to start hearing my stuff on the radio. (laughs) uh, And I never got over it. (laughs) You
0: know, it is really amazing because when I was listening to... um, as I was putting together like my questions here and I was listening to some of your songs and especially your versions of these, what I guess people would call Eagle songs at this point, they didn't stray. Like They kept your composition for the most part. They might have switched keys or something like that, but for the most part, like your chord structure and everything like that was left in there. And I think a lot of times when someone picks up a song and covers it, they've got to modify it to kind of fit their band, their sound, oh, yeah. their voice. And they didn't really need to do that with yours, which I found really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's true. They did stick uh, stick pretty close.
0: Now, when you were writing these, and you wrote songs for, you know, Emmylou Harris. Did I read that? Um, Tom Waits, even? that, Like, a lot of people have taken songs that you've written and, and made them... Um, and I'm wondering if when you, as a writer, are you hearing, do you ever hear a particular voice? Like a, you hear a lot of times like a, a, a writer for a film might say like, I wrote this with this actor in mind or something like that. And I'm wondering if you just, you, you kind of touched on it. Like you just kind of were writing and people picked up on what you were doing, but did you ever write anything specifically and be like, I'm just going to send that to them and just see what might happen here.
1: Almost all the songs, no. I wrote them just coming out of me. Uh, with the exception in a way of uh, I, for 14 years, I wrote with Glenn Fry. Mm. Uh, I never started writing with Glenn until long after he had recorded Peaceful Easy Feeling and Already Gone. And the Eagles had done their thing and broke up. And then I started writing with him. And we wrote together for 14 years and wrote all his albums. Well, so he would come over. We were definitely writing. You know for his album for him to sing so in that sense uh it, it, it kind of was like that although we were still just exploring what was coming out of us but all the other songs like Lou harris and george jones i mean the closest i got uh george jones recorded a song i wrote with bobby whitlock uh, the closest thing was like, after we got done writing the song, sitting around my kitchen table, we said, this would be perfect for George Jones. Oh, really? <laughs> but of course, any song that you wrote that was a country song, you felt would be perfect for the greatest country singer of all yeah. time, George Jones. <laughs> oh, of course you did. You know? And then, uh, and later somehow he got a hold of that song and recorded it. And unlike other songs, I don't even know. I never found out how he even got it, but um but all the rest of the songs, to answer your question, no, I just wrote them. I wrote them kind of for me to do. And then other people just uh, found the songs and liked them. Yeah. So they were. But I didn't say I'm going to write something for Emmy Lou Harris.
0: Okay. I think that that makes. I mean, that, that to me is always an interesting way to do it because. As I've been doing this podcast and I've been interviewing more and more people, I'm finding that people that kind of fall into that songwriter category, that it's, it seems to be the people that I'm talking to, it's almost split, like half of them are in your realm where it's just like and half of them are like, nope, like I'm writing this song with this person in mind and if they don't, like obviously someone else can grab it and try and make it, but this is what the original intention was.
1: Well, of course, I'm Californian. If you go to Nashville, they had a completely different system. True. Those two songs, which is kind of weird for me because I don't usually have to learn somebody else's songs. Yeah. And, not, <laughs> and I, I don't really sound like Neil Young, but I thought, okay, I'll do it. And then I, I did it. But when I saw their show, they had all kinds of other guests. You know, Every time there was a guest in the movie, they had somebody come and be that mm-hmm. guest for their show. Uh, but... Um, the band mrs henry uh they're just so very very good i and usually after a, a rock band is planned unless they're great for a while after a while it just seems like a wall of sound and i just want to go home yeah but i i stayed all three hours the whole night and listened to these guys and they're they have dynamics and and uh, <laughs> they're just so great so when it was over I wrote him an email i said look i'm i'm not bob Dylan and and you're not the band but let's maybe we should get together and make some music and yeah. they went okay so it was really cool and i came down and rehearsed about uh, over a couple of months rehearsed about six times with them and then uh, they set up a video shoot and they hired some photographers and lighting guys and i they already had a a mixing board for their rehearsal that would take every input and put it into uh, logic in a computer. So we already had that, and so we recorded some videos, and uh, I think they came out great. Waiting, did you get to see those?
0: So I, I I watched Waiting this morning. I've been listening to this song, and it's funny to me because you, you're, you said right there that you're like, you know, I'm not Bob Dylan, you guys aren't the band. This song, Waiting.
1: Waiting like a saint I guess I'm waiting
0: like a dylan song it's almost like the dylan song broken where he just kind of keeps going back to that same word and then talking about it in different ways and using it in its different contexts and stuff like that and i feel that way about this dylan or about this song waiting as well so i was i wanted to ask you about that one because i feel like this one might have an interesting story behind it
1: well i had a co-writer friend uh, john brannon and we wrote uh, quite a few things and that's just one of the Things we wrote—it's a list, a list song, or whatever—and then I recorded it a few years ago, uh, so it's, it's not actually new, but it's different. You know, it's not your normal song pattern or anything. Yeah, yeah. And that's when you get into Dylan being just doing different things with the song art form completely. You know, uh, so I've always loved that song, and I thought, well, this would be perfect for a band. And you know, when I started playing it with them, they'd heard. The record. And so they immediately jumped in, they all four of them sing, and they jumped in with <laughs> harmonies right away, and they just had the arrangement, and all kinds of stuff happens in the arrangement that I have nothing to do with. I'm just fine. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. And they're going, hey, do that, do that, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I've been about seven years, I haven't used a band, I've been playing solo, you know, it just wasn't practical. Uh, and I always liked playing solo where, where, where I started out. But having a band is like, uh, it's like having a 747 jet. You know, it's huge. It's just you take off and it's not like playing by yourself. And especially all these guys they hear each other while they're playing and, and they're adjusting and it's just powerful. So I feel like the only way you get something like that is you're kind of open to it and then you wait and you just stumble into it. You know, you can't just put a band together like that.
0: Yeah. Was it one of those things where you didn't know that you were looking for it until you found it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm always hearing a band thinking, well, oh, that'd be a good band to back me up maybe. Yeah. But, uh, but it's usually not. And, but with this, and then they really like it. And I kind of talked to them about it. And they said, well, it's always been in the DNA of this band that we feel we're a great backup band for people. And They were kind of looking for somebody to back, which that's not usually the case. The band usually wants to make it on their own, 100%. 100%. You know, they but they so they liked it, they just kept doing it and feeding energy and learning more songs. And then we had uh, a couple of gigs, and to me, it's just spectacular. It's uh, because I can play solo, but if I have a band that can appeal. You know, people can dance. Yeah, people can yeah. Party all night to this thing, and the other thing exciting, uh, Corey, is that uh, I'm not. So far, I'm not doing my hits. When I play solo, I'll do five or six songs that people know. Yep. But in this band, I decided I don't have to do my hits. I can just be the me that I am now, instead of the guy that I, you know, used to be. Yep. I mean, I can be a new artist because I'm writing stuff all the time. And so this is an opportunity and uh, it's been really.
0: Well, and I think that that's, what's incredible is that you've got this prolonged career that just, you just don't slow down. Like you just keep churning out music and just the words keep coming. The melodies keep coming, the chords keep coming. And I think that that's a very rare thing. Do you think that there's anything that's, that's attributed to or Do you think it's just a, You're just a person who just music chose to flow through me.
1: I guess so. And of course I work, you know, I, I do it. I keep doing it. um, And I keep loving it stuff, but why I could still have the passion to keep doing it. I'm just lucky. I don't know.
0: I, I, I think that that's great. So I imagine that you guys, now that the world's kind of at this point, we don't even know anymore, but sort of opening back up. Um, we've got some, we got some gigs planned for the summer.
1: The band already had a lot of stuff and they're busy. So uh, we did a festival about two weeks ago that we played.
0: Okay.
1: really well. But, and we have some <clears throat> potential gigs that were uh, booking. But they already had some gigs that they' they're, they're playing a gig in Mexico City mm. this week. and they, they do stuff in Mexico as well. So yeah, but we're planning to do a lot of gigs, and we have several more videos to release. So one of them is, um, uh, one's going to be a song called When the World Opens Up, and one of them is, um, uh, it's a song I wrote with a Nashville friend of mine, and it's called uh, Bob Dylan Whiskey. So you know how Bob Dylan has his own brand of whiskey?
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, it's called Heaven's Door. And he made a $10 million deal with uh, the whiskey manufacturers. And he has his own brand of whiskey. So my friend and I were thinking, uh, somebody needs to write some Bob Dylan songs to help change the world. We're in a lot of trouble right now. Maybe if I drink this whiskey, I can write uh, a Bob Dylan song. So that's this guy in the song. He says, I'm drinking Bob Dylan whiskey. I'm trying to write a song like I think he would write. And I'm drinking Bob Dylan whiskey tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's really a, that. it's a new song that I get to do with this band. And then the other song is um, my friend uh, Keith Allison died. He wrote a famous song called Freeborn Man. Uh, there was a country bluegrass standard. So I wrote a song for him called Ramblin' Freeborn Man, mm-hmm. and that and we're doing that. So these are videos that we have done, and then we have a lot of other videos in the works. So I'm just going to go as far as I can with it. Yeah, it's why not? It's so much fun and so creatively cool.
0: Well, and it seems like you guys have a really nice chemistry, which I think isn't always easy to find especially in the band setting and like the fact that you can just sit there and play this song that you'd written a few years ago and those guys had heard it and they're like jump in let's start playing let's start adding our arrangements to this i mean that's just instant chemistry
1: well they're a whole they're a real band for about 10 years so they have all that listening to each other and all the personality things have been worked out no no one's looking for conflict everyone's And they have a big machinery behind their band and I'm just realizing all I have to do is sit back and play the songs. Uh, And just the actual playing with them is so much fun. So that's great. So I have a new project I'm doing too, Uh, just briefly. uh, It's going to come out in a couple of weeks. It's called Jack's Beach Jams. And so for years, I go down to the beach and I sit there and write songs, and then a lot of times I video myself because I can't remember when I get home, the stuff I made up. <laughs> and so when I get home, I look at the video, and type out the stuff, and then I work on, it, you know. And uh, finally, for some reason, this project is what I'm doing is, I make up a song at the beach on the video, and then that's it. Uh, I just make it up on the spot and then it's done and then i type out the words and then i'm just going to post it so i've got some technology to to you know little microphones and stuff that work at the beach try to keep the ocean noise down uh and i'm doing them every day and i've written about 50 songs it's called jack's beach jams and that's what i'm doing and so i'm not really advertising the fact i'm making the stuff up but i'm just it's just that I've got all these songs, and they're kind of different because they kind of flow, and, and then something else happens. And I don't even know when I sit down what I'm going to write about or anything. Oh,
0: that's like if incredible. If
1: I think about it ahead of time, it kind of screws it up. So I just, I turn everything on, and I just start playing. And people are walking by with their dogs, and, you know, it's just like... So that's my new project I'm pretty excited.
0: Does that kind of creatively challenge you then to just have to do that and and to me that would be like almost an experimental way to get to a song that you're you're just like yeah. in order to like get to where I need to be I just need to like force myself to write a song a day here even if it, they're all just whatever. I don't have to care sure. about the quality of them.
1: I guess in a way and also uh I call it a red button song because it's like in the studio we used to press the red button and that'd be recorded. Yeah. So if you just don't have a song, you press the red button, you just go and everybody starts just uh but for me, most of my life you write a song, then you work on it. You try to get it in a form where you're gonna play it. And then you get it in a form where it can be on the radio, you know, and that's been my whole life, you know. Uh and that's cool, but to me, that's not the fun part. The fun part is when it's just rolling out of me. So I thought I'm getting I'm getting older, and uh, why not just do all the fun part?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just
1: forget <laughs> about that other part. Somebody else can go back and look at these, some co-writer or somebody, and they say, I'll whip this into a song, and I can record it, or, or, or I can go back and work on it. But I'm finding, and I'm calling this like an artist has his. Uh, you know his red period his blue period I'm calling this my delusional period because <laughs> I'm thinking these songs can't be that good Jack you're just making them up Yeah. and I'm deluded into thinking that that they're going to be okay so I don't know no one's ever heard them yet I've got about 50 of them but I haven't launched this thing yet but it's just fun and I go and I make up four or five things a day I just sit there and make up song after song and I go well I don't know if another one's going to come out <laughs> Maybe they're all gone, but they just do. And so uh, I may be delirious, but I'm, I'm having some fun with it. I
0: think that's, in the end, that's all that really matters. And it kind of brings us back to what you were saying was going on in the late 60s, early 70s, of just like we're not going to do this normal thing of just like go to school, get the job, start the family, buy a house in suburbia. No, nope, we're going to grow our hair out and we're going to just completely upend the system and do it how we want to do it. So that, that spirit's never really left you, and I like to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um I've got so, one more tune that I want to ask you about. Yeah. And you talked about that that stretch of time that you and Glenn Frey were working together. And you guys wrote a song that the Eagles ended up putting on their Hell Freezes Over album, The Girl From Yesterday. For whatever reason this song and you know, I was 12 when that album came out, 13 or something like that, but I was I was just into it and I like I just, I just have such vivid memories of watching that show, I think on MTV or VH1 or something like that, and just and just seeing that. But this song, The Girl From Yesterday, just stuck with me. It wasn't really sad the way they said goodbye Or maybe it just hurt so bad she couldn't Things out the door. Drove away. For, for just a variety of reasons mainly lyrically and i just now that i knew today and i discovered that this was written by you and glenn Frey, and it wasn't just a pure eagles thing i just had to ask you how that song came together
1: yeah i remember clearly because i have a little house in hollywood and that's where glenn would come and we would write and he uh, he was, I think, I think he was going through a, a divorce and then he later got happily married. And I was going through some bumpy time. And so he was just so, it was almost like, let's just get even with the old girlfriend in a way by writing a song called Girl from Yesterday. Uh, so we were writing it and then we really liked it. But we got to the last verse and we're going, what's going to happen? You know, is, is is he gonna get back together with her or or not? You know, well, it's up to us, we're creating it, you know. So then it, it turned out we go, no, she's just always gonna be the girl from yesterday. Yeah, you know, and uh then the eagles had been broken up all those years, and then they decide to get back together. So the way they did it was to have a Concert. I mean, the first time they played back together, they had this concert, and they videoed it, and they recorded it for an album. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about a little pressure. Yeah, yeah. Haven't played <laughs> fourteen years, and so they go on. And I saw the uh, backstage uh, before, right before, and he was just yeah. They rehearsed so much that he didn't, you know, he wasn't upset. Uh, and they just were under all this pressure. So then they did that song and put it on that Hell Freezes Over album.
0: Oh, so good. I love it. Thank you for sharing some of that. I'm going to just let remind everyone. So we've got um, this amazing project that you just introduced to me and and everyone else that's listening with you doing this avant-garde songwriting on the beach. Um, We've got that to look forward to. And then we've got the the stuff with Mrs. Henry and that this song Waiting, which everyone is going to have heard a sample of, but I'm going to link to as well. Go and check this out. Jack, thank you so much for your time. I'm endlessly impressed with people like you who just a lifetime of creativity. It never stops flowing and, and it's inspiring. And I really appreciate you and your time.
1: Thank you so much, Corey. It's been really fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jack for coming on and chatting with me today. You know, I grew up listening to the Eagles and all these types of music with my family, and to be able to talk to someone who was there in the thick of it, just an absolute dream come true. As always, guys, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. See ya!